The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. Alright guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host Jimbo, and joined again by... One Kyle here today. Yeah, just one, not two, but just one Kyle. You know, sometimes I go to a restaurant, they count me as a party of two, but we'll see who goes. <laughs> he goes to the all-you-can-eat buffet, and they have to kick him out. They charge say, me three times, and they <laughs> still kick me out. Uh, so, as you can probably tell by the title of this episode, uh, we're doing Schindler's List. This is a very, very complicated, heavy movie to watch, to cover, to research. 
Um, so bear with us. Uh, it's very, it's it's difficult to strike any correct tone with it because we don't when we record a podcast that's just us being incredibly sad and disheartened right and, but we also um, don't want to make light of it uh, either I mean usually we tell a lot of jokes and, and goof off yeah and I pick on Kyle a lot but with a film like this um, I don't know if there's really a place or time to do it uh, maybe in some of the comments section maybe um, but uh, we're gonna try to do our best and keep this uh, when you talk something as tragic and terrible as a Holocaust, uh, mm-hmm. And what the Jew, uh, Jews went through, uh, f- especially from the Germans, um, yeah. it's very, very yeah. difficult it's, to talk about. It's still, like, even in the heaviest times, even even in this film, there are moments of some small portions of levity. And so we're not trying to be incredibly, um, not, not, not the, you know, depressing in this right, episode. Right, right. Because, because we, because, we're, yeah. we're just two guys that like to have fun, don't Yeah, forget. we're two guys that like to have fun, talk about trivia of the film, and not try and dwell on too many of the heaviest subjects. So right, we're not but, dismissing but, that. But when the whole film is... About heavy subjects, then that's what you're going to get. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is kind of the best running up there. I, I, I'm not going to try and, yeah, I'm not going to try and seek to make it overly serious from my own perspective. But at the same time, though, I do want to try and treat this with the respect it clearly deserves and right. taken with, especially with the heavy subject matter, not just the film itself. Right. You know. So, so um, we'll see what we is, do. This is actually episode 98. Although there's probably like almost 200 episodes you can go back and listen to the podcast now because. Some of them I've been labeled right, like some of them it was like Universal Monsters series where we did like sixteen movies. But we did guest shows, yeah, real talks. We've done uh, Twilight Zones. We've done Mm -hmm. um, just a bunch of different stuff, Christmas movies. So, um, with that being said, I think that episode comes to a close. (laughs) No, just kidding. Because we don't want to say anything. (laughs) Yeah, um, we do. We actually do. Right, (laughs) and then and understand though when you watch this movie. Some of it is historically accurate. Some of it may be changed a little bit. So it's not that we're... We're just yeah. talking about the film, not the history of it. Although there is some history tied into it. Certainly there's aspects of especially like trying to... like You know, he... Steven Spielberg and the other uh, the critics of this film are trying to convey the cruelty to the audience and also try and simplify the story so it's contained in a film and actually has a coherent story you know the entire life story would be you know a 20 year you know a 30 year movie basically in that case if they try to do the whole story right so uh i i have tried to go in some other perspectives from other people of the jewish faith and try and get their perspective on it um the answer is it's a bit of a mixed bag in some cases where it's you know sometimes we focus on oscar schindler and uh not on the jews themselves and other aspects too so like you know this is not a a perfect film by some people, but it is still a film that deserves its reverence, I believe, and also does a lot of good in the world. Right, and almost it's good having and it. almost on any list you look at, it is in the top twenty movies of all time, greatest movies of all time. And like the one I looked at right before we started recording, it is actually number sixteen. So it definitely there for a reason, um, and I think it's something we should talk about. Kyle, I'm not even going to give you a question uh, this one because I think it's too, too. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to come up with something crazy at the beginning just to pull something away. Yeah. Uh, we need to focus on this. So, Kyle, just go ahead and take away Schindler's I, I, will, I will go for it as best I can. I will kind of do a preface, though. Um, I'm going to do the best I can to pronounce some of these names correctly, but I'm inevitably going to mess it up because some of these um, German or Polish pronunciations are just kind of a little beyond my my, my range of uh, pronunciation right now. Um, but I'll do the best I can and, and I might simplify it, if just not to um, butcher the namesake. If you would like to donate well. to get Kyle a babble so he can learn all the languages <laughs> so he doesn't slaughter the names for the acting... You can reach us at the tragedy of cinema at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. 
But I just want to preface that because I know there's like, even the even the real life characters they play, the characters right. they play, and the actor name. I mean, you, you mess up on normal ones, so I I highly you probably know this one out of the park. This case in particular, I'm I'm more, I'm more worried about it. Like, especially like <laughs> I want to keep the serious tone going all those things too. But yeah, you're right, you're right, Jimbo. It's not like it's not like that's gonna change for any other of the shows. I'm always gonna mess up names on all the movies. <laughs> but this was simply like, oh, it's just, I want to be serious, and also all the names are a lot more difficult to pronounce for me. So I'm gonna do the best I can, but we'll just try and push through it. Please bear with me. I'll see what I can do. All right. So Schindler's List released November 30th in 1993, directed by Steven Spielberg, um, written by Thomas Keenley, who wrote the original book, which was actually called Schindler's Ark. And the screenplay was adapted by Steven um, Zalian, Zalian uh, for the screenplay of the, the uh, movie. Composers, composed by the legendary John William, um, editors by Michael Kahn, and cinematography by... Um, Janus Kaminsky. For the budget of the film, it came in at just $22 million in 1993, and just for inflation today, that'd be about $29 million. So, um, it, for the time, that's a really modest production overall, and a really good show. It's, it's, uh, I see a number like that, and then I wonder, like, how in the world modern movies cost like $200 million. But now, now let me ask you a question. Do you think the reason it was cheaper for that production cost is because it was shot in black and white? Uh, I doubt it personally. Um, I, mean, I think like it was probably still. I my guess would be it would be filmed on color cameras regardless, and then just color corrected off to be corrected to black and white. Or is it um, just the the type of film they used? Uh, actually, I don't know. I agree there in the technical details later on here. We'll do that. Okay, I want yeah. a full report. Yeah, well, I'll read the technical details later on. But I think the confirmation was that it's just like it has the, the color for aspects for about the red coat later on, and then also besides uh, <sighs> I had to bring that up already, man. That. That's when I lost it in the movie. <laughs> Many moments where I lost it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, um, but yes, but also like you know, also of course you know having practical effects, filming in Poland for the match. We get that in the locations of our office. This was a film. This was a film in Poland um, almost entirely, um, or or about entirely actually. Um, so it's still like an incredibly modest budget for a film overall, even for 1993. And you know, uh, a lot more movies today are so vast and more expensive that it's just like it boggles the mind sometimes. But CG effects are expensive, I get it. Um, opening weekend, it only made um, $656,000, which would be equivalent to like $1.3 million today, so practically no money for its opening weekend. But it quickly gained traction. Um, gross in U.S. and Canada, it made $96.9 million, or the equivalent of about $192 million today. And gross worldwide, it made $322 million, which would be equivalent to about $640 million today. So, oh, 600, $641, about $641 million in today's value. So it clearly um, gained traction going forward, and a lot of people came and witnessed this film and uh, 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 appreciated for what it was the story you told. So that sounds good to me. Oh, moving on, we have the uh, technical details, which I'm going to right now. Have you, I got a come through a page of awards that pension later. <laughs> For technical details, we have a runtime of 195 minutes. Um, so, about a, a three-hour and ten-minute movie about that, roughly. Yeah, three-hour and fifteen-minute movie about there. Um, color info, which is um, mentioned that black and white and also slash color, specifically for the scenes about the little girl in the red dress. Will you stop? Not dress. Uh, I'm sorry. Coat. Red coat. Red coat. Red dress coat. Red clothing. <laughs> coat. Coat, Kyle. Coat. coat. Not coat. clothing. Coat. Coat. Thing. I think I consider coats clothing, Jimbo. Just saying. Okay. Aspect ratio. We have a 1.33 by 1 for the negative ratio and a 1.85 for the theatrical ratio. Film length. This is a whopping 
4,680 meters of film, and process was digital intermediate for the 4K 2018 remaster, which I actually just watched. Um, I watched for this um, podcast here, and uh, Dolby Vision and Sparrow for the original theatrical release. Then printed format, we have 35 millimeter and D Cinema for the tw- and uh, D Cinema for the 2018 release again. Uh, let's see here. Any more other fun facts that I got here in the list? Filming dates. This was filmed between March 1st, 1993 to May 11th, 1993. So just uh, about two months and a week, about 72 days. So yeah, two months and a week, basically a little more than that. Filming locations. It was filmed almost entirely in Poland. Um, actually, it was, and uh, briefly portion in, uh, with the um, the epilogue was filmed in uh, Jerusalem for uh, his uh, the scene where about the stones at the very end. Yeah, that was filmed there. Yeah, that was in Israel. And uh, the rest of them was filmed entirely in Poland. And let's see here. That covers the technical details of Schindler's List. Then we're going to move on to the vast, vast list of the awards that Schindler's List earned throughout the years and in 1993 specifically. So we're going on here. Drum roll. All that fun stuff. In 2011, it was added to the Film Hall of Fame uh, for the Online Film and Television Association. Uh, here. And then in the um, 2014-2020 awards, <laughs> that's the name of the award show 2020, uh, it won Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, Best Director, and Best Picture. In 2004, it was added to the National Film Registry. In 1997, it won the um, Film Hall... It was added to the Film Hall of Fame for the... Oh, okay, I actually said the 2004, sorry. Um, in the... A-S-E-C-A-N, the A-S-C-A-N Awards. It won Best Foreign Film in 1995. Also in 1995, it won the um, Best Foreign Film for the Awards of Japanese Academy. And also in 1995, it won the Cinema Writers Circle Awards in Spain for Best Foreign Film. So needless to say, you can already tell already that it won a ton of awards because I'm sure you're skipping some too. Yes, I, 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 the only things I'm skipping over are just uh, purely nominations, um, just because I wanted to focus on just the awards. The winners. Um, it also got nominations pretty much across the board from every award show that's recognized in IMDb and other websites, basically like that. So the list is quite large, and I'm not. Um, I'm purely focusing on just the wins because if I focus on all the nominations too, I'd be here for another. 15 minutes <laughs> and I don't have that much voice left in me in <laughs> um, the Grammy Awards it won the best intermissional inter- instrumental composition written for a motion picture or for television or to John Williams 95 also won the London Critics Circle Film Awards for Film of the Year Director of the Year and British Actor of the Year related to um, awarded to Ralph Fiennes in 1995 it won the um, Manichee Film Conkers for the best foreign language film and then in 1994, for the Academy Awards, it won the Oscar for Best Film Editing, Film Editing, awarded to Michael Kahn, Best Music and Original Score to John Williams, Best Picture, um, won an Oscar for Best Picture, Best Director, or of course, we're the Steven Spielberg, Ralph Fiennes, and Oscar for Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, Best Writing and Screenplay Based on a Material Previously Produced or Published. And 94, it also won the Amanda Awards in Norway for Best Foreign Feature Film. And 94, it also won the American Cinema Editors Award for Best Edited Feature Film. Then going up to the BAFTAs in 1994, it won Best Screenplay. Best Actor in a Supporting Role, awards that Ralph Fiennes. Best Cinematography, Best Film, Best Editing, Best Score. 
And that is the BAFTA Awards. And then the um, BMI Film and TV Awards that won the Film, Film Music Award, John Williams. Also in for the Chicago Films Critics Association Awards awarded Best Supporting Actor to Ralph Fiennes, Best Picture, Best Actor to Liam Neeson, Best Director to Steven Spielberg, Best Screenplay to Steven Zalian, and Best Cinematography to Janice Kaminsky. Also in 94, the Dallas-Fort Worth Film Critics Association awarded Best Cinematography, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Best Screenplay. Moving forward, we have the Golden Globes here, where it won Best Motion Picture, Best Director, and Best Screenplay. Then, the Golden Screen Awards won the Golden Screen with one star, and uh, so won that award. Then, also in 94, at the Heartland International Film Festival, it won the Studio Crystal Heart Award. The Ho Chi Film Awards in 94 also awarded it with the Best Foreign Language Film. The Humanities Prize was a feature film category for Steven Zillian. The ICG Publishers Awards um, awarded for Best Motion Picture. And Jupiter Awards in 94 also awarded it Best International Film and Best International Director, both to Steven Tilburg. Then for the Motion Picture Sound Editor, it was won, it won the Best Sound Editing Award for 94. Best Supporting Actor. Best Cinematography, and Best Director. And then at the Cannes Sports Film Awards, it won Best Foreign Film. At the P at the Penn Center USA West Literary Awards, it won Best Screenplay. At the PGA Awards, it won Outstanding Producer of Theatrical Motion Pictures, awarded to both uh, Steven Spielberg there. And then in 1994, it won the Political Film Society USA for Human Rights Award. Um, yes, the PFS Award for Human Rights was the award specifically there. Here. Then we have the USC Scripter Awards, where it won Best um, Scripter Award for that year. Writers Guild of America gave it the Best Screenplay based on a material previously produced or published. Then the Awards Circuit Community Awards back in 93 awarded it Best Costume Design, Best Cinematography, Best Production Design, Best Actor in a Supporting Role, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Then also in 93, when the Boston Society of Film Critic Awards, it won Best Cinematography, Best Film, Best Director, and Best Supporting Actor. 93 also, British Society of Cinematographers awarded the Best Cinematography Award. In Heartland Film, it won the Truly Moving Picture Award. Truly Moving Picture Award. Okay, then we have the Kansas City Film Critics Circle Awards. It won Best Director and Best Film. Then in the Los Angeles Film Critics Association Awards, it won Best Cinematography. And the National Board of Review in USA 1983, it won the award as Best Film, the MBR Award for Best Film. And in the New York Film Critical Circle Circle Awards, it won Best Cinematography, Best Film, and Best Supporting Actor. Ooh, and that is the awards for Schindler's List. Many more nominations. Won't be getting those in this podcast, but my drop the list. Was, uh, we're going to have to start calling the awards the Kyle List because that thing was pretty long. It was, it was. And now I have an even longer casket through it. It's going to be more fun. Oh. <laughs> well, it doesn't look like that long. Oh, wait, well, because wait, you yeah. just took the screenshot because it, instead of writing it all down, right? Yeah, yeah. Typically, I, I write these all down by hand so I get a better connection to memory and also try to put in more films. In this case, though, I try to do the core cast and then try to do a lot more of the, um, the other people, other characters based on real people and just try to more simplify the list so I can get more names in without even going too deep on each character because otherwise I would just be once again here for 20 minutes just saying names they very poorly pronounce <laughs> so it's best for all of us if I get through this as quickly as I can <laughs> so anyways the cast for Schindler's List we of course have Liam, Liam Neeson playing, how great was he in this movie uh, easily the best role he will ever have <laughs> you know um 
Yeah. I mean, it wasn't no Qui Gon Jinn, but I, <laughs> but I mean, it was pretty. Good. No, I'm kidding. This was a fantastic. It wasn't no Taken. I'll tell you that yeah. right. <laughs> this this was a great uh, man. He did outstanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a very heavy performance, and uh, he, he he did it very well. Uh, there's, mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> I, I I can't. I really can't say too much about it uh, because it is he he was he was the right man for the job. Absolutely. So we have Liam Neeson playing, of course, the uh, Oscar Schindler, the titular character of Schindler's List, obviously. Um, Liam Neeson is also more is well known for playing Qui Gon Jinn, <laughs> the Phantom Menace. Um, he's also in the Taken series of movies from 2008 to 2014. Um, he's also um, Dark Man in the 1990 film. Oh yeah, uh, I forgot about that movie, Dark Man. Yeah, that's like that's a fun movie. <laughs> um, oh, The Gray in 2011. And Batman Begins in 2005, where he played Ra's al Ghul. Ra's al Ghul. Ra's al Ghul. Um, then we have Ben Kingsley playing Isaac Stern. Um, ben Kingsley, also most recognizable, playing Gandhi in 1982's film. Um, he was also in Shutter Island in 2010. Iron Man 3 in 2013. Um, also had a small role in the Shang-Chi movie, released just last year, I think it was. Uh, he was also in the movie Sexy Beast in 2000. <laughs> Sometimes I write the cast list before watching the movie and <laughs> get some unique names and get some films in there. Um, then, of course, we have um, Ralph Fiennes playing... Um, uh, Is it Fiennes or Fiennes? Do you know? I do not know. Well, that'll be your thing. I'll let you go get away now. But mm-hmm. please look that up so when I go to start talking, I might just call him Ralph. <laughs> There's like a thousand names in the notes that we went through that also... Like, I'm just like, I'm not sure. I think I pronounced it okay. So we apologize um, in advance if... We slaughter some. Yeah, things. even the character's name. I'm like, I'm not sure. Like, I heard probably the movie like half a dozen times, but Amon uh, Goff or like the the command the commandant that he played. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I pronounced that right, but he plays that character, Amon Goff. And um, Ralph Fiennes also in uh, Red Dragon 2002, where he played the psychopath in there. Um, Made in Manhattan in 2002, in Bruges in 2008, and he was also um, Lord Voldemort in the Harry Potter movies. So he's. Uh, critically acclaimed actor in his own right. A lot of other great movies as well. I don't think he's actually uh, kind of underrepresented in the Hollywood sphere, I think. Give him more movies. Um, then we have Caroline Goodall playing um, Emily Schindler. Um, she was in movies such as uh, Cliffhanger in 1993, Hook in 1991, also working to work just before filming this movie. So she went from one production right to the next one right there. That was... Hook's such a great movie. Hook is a great movie. And I didn't realize that I went through the notes later. Like, actually, uh, Steve Zorro went from filming Hook to directly starting to film uh, Schindler's List. So, actually, one continuity where it's like Hook, Schindler's List, then Jurassic Park. All, yeah. All within that very small time period. Steven Spielberg is a workhorse, if nothing else. I, that guy works. Although, I did see that after this movie, he, he took four years off. Yeah, I would too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. After making his, three, I think his the, next one was like Jurassic Park: The Lost World or something. It was like the second one or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't blame. Him. Like if, after making Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, basically in the same year, whew, <laughs> those are two very big and also hard to make movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't blame him for taking a long time off. Also, he has you know more money than anyone else. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, but uh, Caroline Goodall uh, also um, that was in the um, the Silver Grumby in 1993 and the Princess Diaries in 2001. Then we have Imbif Davidits. Davids plays Helen Hirsch. She was in movies such as Army of Darkness in 1992, <laughs> Matilda in 1996, oh. Bicentennial Man in 1999. Man, that's what we need to get covered sometime in the list sometime. Um, and Bridges Owns Diary in 2001. Do you remember Bicentennial Man? Yeah, with Robin that's Williams. Awesome. That was a really good movie. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one talks about Bicentennial Man anymore. Um, then we have Jonathan Segal playing um, 
Puldick Pfeifenberg. Pfeifenberg. He was in such movies as Urban Feel in 1999, Lemon Popsicle in 1978, and Drifting in 1982. And from there, I'm going to go on just the um, going through the list of trying to get the real name and the um, character that betrays name and the real life character they portrayed in life. Oh, so you're um, not going to tell us what movies these other, other movies, people. other movies. Yeah, just going through straight just their names. Um, that's as best as possible. Um, we have Malgozada Jebel playing. Victoria Klowinska, Klowinski, Klowinski. Okay. Then we have Shmuel Levy playing Willick Chilowitz, Mark Avner playing Marcel Goldberg, Beatrice McCola playing Ingrid, Andres Servan playing Julian Schweiner. Then we have Friedrich von Thun playing Rolf Söder. Christoph Luft playing Hermann Toffel. Hermann Nuring playing Leo John. Norbert Weiser playing Albert Hojar. Hojar. Eddie Nitzan playing Mille Perfettberg. Perfettberg. <laughs> and Michael Schneider playing Judy Dre- Judah Dresner. Mira Fabian playing Zsaj, Zsaj, um, Shaja Dresner. Anna Munich playing Danka Dresner, Albert Mizak playing Mordecai Wilkin, Michael Gordon playing Mr. Nuzbaum, Aldana um, Grochal playing Mrs. Nuzbaum, Zizek Wachowski playing Henry Rosner, Bita Polich playing Mancy Rosner, Peter Polk playing Leo Rosner, Erzer Dagen playing Rabbi Menasha Levertov and Betty Dustner playing Rebecca Tannenbaum and then finally we have Rami Herberger playing Joseph Ba. That is the cast of Schindler's List. Plus a billion extras. A billion extras for sure, yes. Um, yeah. Well done, Kyle. You actually started to get in your groove there when you pulled out the old phone. Yeah. Um, Once I started forcing a dumb accent into it, well, not not dumb accent. Once I started forcing a little, <laughs> the more I say the words, the so more you like, start rolling it off your tongue. It starts rolling in the tongue in like almost like a, a right, Kyle, German. Yeah. Um, if somebody didn't know what this movie was about, uh, give us a quick synopsis of what this movie is about. Uh, this is the story of the real life Oscar Schindler, who was a uh, uh, an opportunist during the early beginnings of World War II, um, and later a sympathizer with the Jewish communities during the Holocaust who ran a factory to um, try and get workers to try and um, originally make money and then went on to get these workers to make sure they had something to do so they wouldn't be sent to Auschwitz and be killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and ended up him saving over a thousand Jews. And that is his, um, essentially his life story during the time of World War II. Right. And it, we'll get to it, man. But when, at the end of this movie, you know, when, I think that's when Liam Neeson's character as Oscar Schindler comes to life when um, they're all thinking him. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll get there. I'll, I'll save it till the end. Though. So here we go. We're going to start talking about some of the notes and bear with us because this isn't going to be in any chronological order either because there's just a library. There's so with, much. Yeah. And there's so much we're not going to cover, but it is definitely a movie that you need to check out. So here we go. So to gather costumes for the over 20,000 extras... The costume designer took out advertisements seeking clothes. 
As economic conditions were poor in Poland, many people were eager to sell clothing they still owned from the 1930s and the 1940s. So they are actually just going to their closet saying, wow, I, I used to wear this back then, and yeah. now they're selling them to the I sell my mom's clothing and all those kind of things. You know, that is crazy. Yeah. You know, that's a, and that is the benefit of uh, filming in Poland for this whole production. Like, you have the people there that had all those clothes available to them. So, like, they were right there where all those clo- where all the clothes was right. for that time period. And still close enough where, like, those kind of clothing items survived during the war. So When uh, survivor Mila Pfefferberg uh, was introduced to Ralph Fiennes, or Fiennes, or Fiennes mm-hmm. as Kyle was supposed to look up and still hasn't, um, on the set, uh, she began shaking uncontrollably as he reminded her way too much of the real Amon Goeth. So that's right there. You can tell that's great acting when uh, the he looks and acts like what happened in real life. Um, oh, you're going to pull up the Google Translate? Mm-hmm. And it right. says... Well, does it go say anything? I, I thought it would. Is know. your volume off? Man, Tom Holland. Oh, no, we're that's, not, that's not what I want. Phoenix is not Spider Man. <laughs> oh, now we're going to. Well, what else are we going through here, there, Kyle? I have no idea. Did you just not go to Google Translate or whatever? No, it is? I thought. Now we're, now we're going back to Spider Man. It is fine. Oh, forget it, Kyle. It is, it is fine. It is fine. I'm going to say that. I'm going to lock it down. I'm going to say it's fine. He's, he said it in the video. No, he did. He talked he, about he Tom did, Holland he, and no, Antonio. He said, he, Lord Voldemort, Ralph Fiennes. He said it in the okay, video. Okay. He so. said Fiennes. <laughs> it was in the first video for Ralph Fiennes' pronunciation. Wow. And then he just immediately started like... Somehow um, we somehow Tom Holland ended up in Schindler's List. Maybe he was the kid in the oh, movie. Oh, oh, okay. I, I have no one here. Oh. How to pronounce Ralph Fiennes correctly. Oh. Okay. See. We are the name of English actor, film producer, and director. A Shakespeare interpreter, he first achieved success oh. on stage at the Royal National Suspense Theater. Here. We are looking at how to pronounce Rolf Fiennes. Rolf Fiennes. Fines. fines. Okay. Fines, Kyle. Fines, you like, get it. Like fines. You got a bill. Okay. <laughs> fine. Here's a fine. All right. Let's get back to it. Uh, when Steven Spielberg first showed John Williams a cut of this movie... Williams was so moved he had to take a walk outside for several minutes to collect himself. Upon his return, he told Spielberg he deserved a better composer. Spielberg replied, I know, but they're all dead. <laughs> so I was like, wow. Yeah, very deep. So, man. I mean, I, I'm guessing he's talking about, like, Beethoven, Mozart, Chopin, mm-hmm. all them yeah. guys. And I imagine, like, I'm frankly surprised he wouldn't have multiple moments where he had to stop and, like, take a moment to collect himself. Right. But, you know, like... We have the benefit of, uh, but you, but when we watched the movie too, we also already had we had the music too. You know what I mean? So the yeah. music kind of drawed you into the the mm. scenes too. Yeah. So, but, but also we kind of. And how good is John Williams? Oh, absolutely! Every Ma- movie Master that he class. touches is just perfectly composed. Um, it's gonna be sad when he goes, man, because he, he's just like yeah. how much skill it takes for him, how much effort it takes for him to make it look effortless. Like he, probably, he makes it look easy. Like he knocks out an afternoon. Like, oh, you want to be doing this? Yeah. <laughs> it just, it just, uh, let me just go over to this file. He yeah, probably yeah. already has a run yeah, out. A li- you know, like really, it's a lifetime of studying and master work and all kinds of stuff. Put a ton of work in, but he just makes it look easy every time he does it. It's incredible. So good yep. for him on that. But also, like I mean, like you know, him taking like a moment to collect himself after the film, like. I'm surprised he didn't take like multiple moments. Like I gotta stop, gotta walk around, collect myself after this. Because like we came in with the, uh, the benefit of like we know what to expect walking into this film, how serious it is, and all that stuff. Like too, and he didn't the same if, way. Like you ever wonder if John Williams is hard on his orchestra, like or if like you know does he 
no, no, you didn't hit that note just right. You know, you think he's like... Oh, like whiplash? Yeah. Like <laughs> shaking someone's in whiplash? No, no, no. We got to do the whole nine-hour thing over because you messed up one, one note. One little part. I bet he does. Too, or, like, or even how consistent his crew is. Does he have the same team that composes with him every single time he does this? I have no idea. Or it's all done by computers now. You we never know. Do, we need to do a real talk on... on um, John Williams? <laughs> John Williams. Ralph. How to pronounce Ralph Fiennes. <laughs> how to pronounce Ralph Fiennes. A real talk on this. Um, <laughs> have a whole debate. It'd be great. So, um, Steven Spielberg initially intended to make this film... In in Polish and German uh, with English subtitles, but rethought the idea because he felt like he wouldn't be able to accurately assess performances in an unfamiliar language. Mm-hmm. And that, that just kind of goes to show like this is still like, at the end of the day, this is still an American film about the Holocaust um, or about um, Oscar Schindler, especially. So it, it's you know it's it's made for the American audience uh, too. So like it, you know there's ways where like you view the the more um, authentic film would be the one that's actually presented in Polish um, language and stuff like that too, right. or German language as well. Um, you know, so we still get this movie overall. You know, still I think it's, he made the right call for this case. Cause, At his insistence, uh, saying that it would be blood money, all royalties and residuals from this movie. That would normally have gone to Steven Spielberg. Instead, are given to the Shoah Foundation, which records and preserves written and videotaped testimonies from survivors of genocide worldwide, including the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And that is, without doubt, the best thing to come out of this whole film. Right. Um, that has raised millions of dollars for the Shoah Foundation and has been instrumental for like that whole organization, basically year to year, even because um, that film itself needs to make money, and uh, it's absolutely. Um, uh, incredible importance that that uh, right. goes forward to it. So good on Steven Spielberg for doing that. You know, this film could have been absolutely terrible, but the the financial contributions that it made to the Shoah Foundation makes everything worth it. And just having he made a great film, and then also did this tradition as well. So amazing for Steven Spielberg to do that. Right. The original missing list of Schindler's Jews was found in a suitcase together with his written legacy hidden in the attic of Schindler's flat in Heidelsheim in 1999. Oscar Schindler stayed there during the last few months before his death in 1974. Mm-hmm. So even up to then, he had a list. Tucked away. And the list anyway. is actually all the people that worked for him in the factories. Um, because uh, he could show that list to uh, the Germans and be like, no, no, they work for me. I need this. He's, he's an engineer. He's a mechanic. You know, mm-hmm. and he, he, could, he could get them off that way. Yeah. Uh, Steven Spielberg was actually able to get permission to film inside Auschwitz but chose not to out of respect for the victims. So the scenes of the death camp were filmed outside the gates on a set constructed in a mirror image of the real location on the other side. Yeah. Uh, once so, again, also a, a decision very, I completely agree Very with respectable man. Yeah. Because although I understand why you'd given them permission. For I saw around. a video one time where somebody uh, flown a drone over Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. A very powerful, if you ever get a chance to see it. Um, the person who places a flower on top of the stones and on the real Oscar Schindler's tomb at, uh, during the closing credits is actually Liam Neeson and not Steven Spielberg, as some people think. So uh, very, uh, very moving. Even though you don't know who does it, they're saying Liam did it and not uh, Spielberg, which either one doing it would have been fine with me because they both deserve the accolades that they get. Yeah. Um, in reality, it was not Ishtag Stern. Well, uh, one thing I 
right back. No, to you just want fact. me to pronounce that again. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do. Uh, but I think like you know, like it's like it's not necessarily like Liam Neeson in that film. It's supposed to be the idea of Liam Neeson of, of Oscar Schindler's spirit honoring, you know, uh, understanding the honor he's. A, well, I have a question. Well, the people that were placed in the stones there was that the real people that survived yes, the Holocaust? Those are the real right? people, and the person next to them was the actor who played them in the film. Okay, so that's a, a fun fact. I'm pretty sure we get to it later down there. But yeah, it was the um, the real survivor, and then also the actor. That was such them. a sad. They're putting rocks on his. I mean, it was just a sad. It's just it's. We'll get to it. I, I you got. I'm not even on page one of the notes, Kyle, and here we are getting ready to tear every up single time. Yeah, it, it's every extra, fact you know, it hits you hard when you stop and actually start thinking about it. So that's why I'm trying to get through this podcast yeah, it's a, it's without a, having a mental breakdown and just ball mm-hmm. over my laptop and ruin all the equipment here. We'll we'll we'll, we'll get through it. I promise. I just, I just, you know, it's it's a heavy task, but one that also definitely needs to be done. Right. You know. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Um. In reality, it was not Isaac Stern who helped Oscar Schindler put the list together, but Marcel Goldberg. Many survivors who speak of Goldberg do so with disdain as he was unscrupulous in deciding who ended up on the list, reportedly accepting bribes from some survivors, taking names off the list to add theirs instead. Mm-hmm. So, it's, once again, like, all, all history is messy, even for the good people in this scenario. You know, even for the Jews in this scenario, things you know, it, you know, um, even if overall, you know, this is a poem about good people taking positive actions there's still negative you know people or people who made a consequence of uh, compromises right in their decision making on this so uh this is a mixed a, history this yeah. is a very interesting fact right here is steven spielberg refuses to autograph any materials related to this film mm-hmm. i think it's really understandable even if he did it from a I, i'm sure he doesn't from a philosophical standpoint but also from a personal standpoint right. i mean i couldn't imagine wanting to be reminded of that because right it's such a hard film to even film the process then have oh here sign this memorabilia of it and i'll sell it on ebay like no absolutely not um during production, the atmosphere was so dark and grim and depressing that Steven Spielberg actually asked his friend Robin Williams if he could tell some jokes and do comedy sketches while Spielberg would watch episodes of Seinfeld. Uh, some of Williams' sketches, while played through the speakerphone to the cast and crew, ended up uh, being part of the dialogue material for his character in Aladdin, the genie, in 1992. Mm-hmm. <coughs> yeah, so definitely, uh, yeah. <laughs> Think uh, well, no, I don't want to talk about that. I think of the Jerry Lewis film about the clown during the Holocaust, but no, that's not really a good subject matter for this one. But uh, yeah, having Robin Williams there to kind of lift the spirits of the crew during that production is probably desperately needed. And you talked about watching Seinfeld every night too, so yeah, too. I imagine you have to you have to find a way to keep going every single day of that production when it's just optional. You know, you can actually quit and just mm-hmm. sign off it. You know, so you have to find a motivation to keep going versus being stuck in there. <laughs> uh, the ending of Real Life Survivors Visiting Oscar Schindler's Grave was not in the script. Steven Spielberg had the idea in the middle of filming. Locating the survivors and arranging the gathering on short notice was a, definitely a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the film was shown to be shown in the Philippines, the censors decided to cut out scenes of nudity and violence. Um, because we forgot to say, I do believe this is rated R. There is some nudity, um, and there is definitely some violence, a lot of violence, um, and a little bit of language as well. Uh, but when Steven Spielberg learned of this, he wanted to pull the film out unless it was shown as it is. So Philippine President Fidel Ramos intervened and overruled the censors, and the film was shown without any cuts. There was a similar situation in Malaysia, but with no intervention. Hence, the film was banned. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steven Spielberg actively pursued the project when he noticed the increasing anti-Semitism and neo-Nazism in the 1990s, basically the same sentiments that he had led to the Holocaust in the first place. He was also horrified that the Holocaust deniers were being taken increasingly seriously in the media. 
His resolve to make the film was further strengthened, uh, strengthened when the studio executives asked him why he didn't simply make a donation of some sort rather than wasting everyone's time and money on a depressing film. <coughs> Kyle, what's your thoughts on that? It is something that it absolutely infuriates him, uh, infuriates me personally. <laughs> kind of thing, like, like, you know, it, it's one of those like sit down and shut up and just let things rewind. Like, don't make the depressing film. It's all the reason why these films continue need to be made. Even if you're reminded that um, it's not something that can just be moved on from or ignored or pretend that you overcame overcame it. Um, Anti-Semitism and fascism and uh, neo-Nazism are things that are. Um, they ebb and flow, just mm-hmm. as, as as good times go, and so you need to have an active. Um, you need to play an active role in making sure you keep those kind of things down. Um, you need to know. You need to recognize the history of it. You need to pick that right, and also need to make sure you tell people going now having those you know Holocaust denials or neo Nazi beliefs that like you are wrong for X, Y, and Z. These are the reasons. These are all lead to terrible consequences for humanity. Um, so I think Stevensburg absolutely was in the right and. You know, you know. Um, I, I think very poorly of anyone who disagrees with that. Right. According to the art directors, no green paint or clothing was used on the set because the color would not show up well on the black and white film. Special attention was paid to how much lighting or paint was used in order to appear correctly on film, regardless of how unrealistic it seemed in real life. <laughs> so uh, it might have looked weird in real life. There is a Jewish tradition that when one visits a grave, one leaves a small stone on the marker as a sign of respect. This explains the epilogue uh, where the cast and the Schindler uh, sh- at the Schindler Juden cover Oscar Schindler's grave with stones. So you see that mm-hmm. you watch. Make sure you watch through the credits because that's a very powerful scene there too. Yeah. Um, um, back to the, um, the, the the color for the black and white films, especially. Um, I remember um, very much last year, I believe it was the um, the WandaVision show was mm-hmm. making also a big deal about that. Apparently, to get like trying to make sure they got it look right in black and white, so they use like off color thing like that. Like Vision, the superhero character was like basically painted purple for the black and white scenes instead of being reds because it looked more like a red thing in a black and white movie. So other films even today are like doing black and white scenes or doing that color correction even now, trying to get that look just right. Uh, the cool stuff. Oscar Schindler did in fact have a Jewish account name, uh, accountant named Ishtak Stern. His role was ex- uh, expanded in the movie where he served as a composite of several accounts Accounts Schindler had working for him. Uh, Steven Spielberg watched episodes of Seinfeld that we said every night to lighten his mood. Uh, this is the most expensive black and white film to date. Uh, the previous record was held for over 30 years by another film set during World War II, The Longest Day, which we'll have to cover at some point from 1962. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree there. Uh, about 40% of this film was shot using a handheld camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spielberg opted to make Jurassic Park in 1993 before this film in terms of his projects for 1993. It was even written into his contract because he had made this film first, he would have been too drained to film Jurassic Park. Yeah. And I think the handheld film, um, handheld cameras actually adds a whole lot to this film. Um, to me, it almost felt like sometimes watching it almost like a, like a, almost like a Dante's Inferno like moment where well, you're being. It's like you're marching with the Jews. You know, or you're yeah. actually with the Germans. You know, it's almost like you're yeah. part of the scene. Uh, the way I thought, of it, like, but simply, I thought of it like almost like Dante's Inferno, where you're being guided through um, essentially this hellish place. You're being guided through all of these terrible things happening right now, and you're basically being asked to view and take a look at these things and be a witness to this event um, that is being depicted in the film. And having that kind of moment um, resonate with me, and uh, definitely, it is a lot more where you're like you're kind of like there's, there's moments where I felt like like. These are the moments where, like, if I was walking through the room, I would stop and take a close look just because I had to understand what was happening right in front of me. And the camera work 
feeds into that perfectly. Absolutely well done on that right. part. So I, I think the handheld camera was the right choice in so many occasions, so many shots. Uh, Steven Spielberg has admitted on several occasions that making this film was emotionally draining due to the heavy subject matter. He said that virtually no day went by without him tearing up and crying at a certain point, which just by watching it, I, I can't imagine directing it. Uh, the story features a character called Poldak Pfeifferberg. Later, a Leopold Pfeifferberg places a stone on Schindler's grave. Finally, a Leopold page is credited as a consultant on the film. Despite the different names, uh, these all refer to the same person. Poldak Pfeifferberg changed his name to Leopold Page after the war when he moved to the United States. Uh, the film's tagline, Whoever saves one life saves the world entire, is a quotation from the Talmud. A direct copy of the real list, which was amongst other things in Thomas Kinley collection, was found by the staff of the National Library in New South Wales, Australia. The 13-page list after the restoration is displayed in the library's museum. And if any of our Australian friends, um, listeners, uh, are there, if they want to take some pictures of that, if they have them, uh, put it on the Facebook page. I'd love to see them. If not, we might try to find some online later. We post those and right. that. Well, we'll, we'll or maybe we'll just send Kyle over there for research for the podcast. Yeah, just down under. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Are you ready, put Australia? It's going to be a six-month journey. be fine. <laughs> That's not a knife. I'll hit you riding a cargo ship. Be a That's cook. not a knife. That's Kyle. <laughs> That's a Kyle. Uh, what is a Kyle? But a knife? Uh, <laughs> hey, maybe they have the all-you-can-eat buffets over there, and they only charge you one price. Exactly. <laughs> all-you-can-eat seafood. Yeah, yeah. Just, they, they Feed you the koalas, I don't know. <laughs> oh, you had to bring the koalas up. <laughs> Kangaroo. Uh, uh, this terrible. film was banned in several... I love our Australian listeners. <laughs> the, the film... Oh, yeah, nice try to recover up of that. You're probably being roasted. Uh, Natasha, get him. Uh, the film was banned in several Muslim-majority nations, including Malaysia, Indonesia, and Egypt. Uh, the general excuse was that it was unfair towards Germans, meaning Nazis, and overwhelming sympathetic to the Jews. Neo-Nazis in Western countries, including the U.S. and Canada, campaigned for the film to be banned there, but were ignored. Uh, there again, you have a select few trying to stir the majority. Uh, during the nighttime raid on the Krakow ghetto by the SS, two officers see a man playing a piano and wonder if the music is Johann Sebastian Bach or Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. The piece is actually Bach's English suit number no. two in A minor, despite the one officer's conclusion that it was Mozart. Thomas Keenly, the author of the book Schindler's Ark, has claimed in an interview that he was personally shown a six-plus-hour rough cut of the film. Wow, I'd love to see that. Um, by Steven Spielberg that he found far better than the final theatrical version. As of 2016, this rough cut version has never been released in any authorized format. Yeah, and... Uh, um I, wouldn't be, I, I both wouldn't be surprised if it stayed that way or changed in the near future at all. Um, I think we're in one of those ebb and flow moments in recent history of uh, neo-fascism or something like that being on the rise to some degrees in some parts uh, of the world. Um, you know, recent events. Um, <laughs> this film, as well as E.T., uh, The Extraterrestrial, are the two films which Steven Spielberg would best like to be remembered for, which rightfully so. Uh, several actresses broke down when filming the shower scene, including one who was born in a concentration camp. Man. Um, mm -hmm. When Schindler berates Isdak Stern for sending too many forced labor camp workers to his factory, Stern reminds him about Amon Goss shooting 25 men from Bajek's camp. The Bajeski that Stern refers to is Moshe Bajeski, who eventually became Oscar Schindler's document forger and later an Israeli Supreme Court judge from 1979 to 1991. He is mentioned in the book. In the list, he is number 531 on the men's list, and his occupation was a draftsman. In a memorable scene with Poldak Pfeifferberg, who was played by Jonathan Segal, 
runs into a German patrol during the ghetto clearing. He is forced to improvise and snaps to attention and salutes the Germans with two fingers to his forehead and explains that he was ordered to clear the roads of rubble so the troops could run without hindrance. The two fingers salute is actually the correct way to salute the Polish military, and the Germans are obviously not impressed by it. All right, so next we have the uh, casting of Ralph Fiennes as Eamon Goth had been officially um, cast by Spielberg after he'd been so moved by his performance as T.E. Lawrence in A Dangerous Man in 1992. Spielberg has been a lifelong fan of Sir David uh, David Leans Lawrence's of Arabia in 1962, (laughs) which we covered on the podcast. Well, not the 92 version, but actually Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. Yeah, and Ralph Fiennes got a, such a a very difficult role here. Honestly, yeah, it's 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 it, you know, I mentioned it's, it's always tough to play something that terrible. You know, like it's not even like a in a fantastical movie, it's fun being the bad guy because you get to be such a you know a charismatic villain. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, being a Nazi, you have to be detestable and hateful and all those kind of things too. And he did a great job. Though. It, yeah, he did a great job. And as an actor, I'm sure there's a level of method acting, putting yourself in the in the shoes of that kind of. Uh, you know, miserable human being basically is very difficult as an actor so he did an incredible job here so right. all has to him you know, praises him uh, Bruno Gantz was sought to play the role of Oscar Schindler but turned it down Gantz appeared in another critically acclaimed World War II movie Downfall in 2004 in which he played actually Adolf Hitler yeah um, that's going to be probably later on the list someday down the line maybe but uh, it's another it's another rough movie to get through <laughs> right uh, when Steven Spielberg was dividing time between this film and Jurassic Park, he was in contact with special effects company Industrial Light and Magic four times a week via satellite. He described the extra workload as a bipolar experience with every ounce of in- intuition on Schindler's List and every ounce of craft on Jurassic Park. He rented two satellite channels through a Polish television station for $1.5 million a week, keeping them open at all times. He downloaded from Hollywood each day the visuals on one and the sound through the other. He then spent his evenings and weekends working on them with video equipment. I think like how like like uh, if we take that for granted right now, almost thirty years later. <laughs> right, it's just amazing. He like when you want to do your craft and you want to be a perfectionist at something, the amount of time that they spend into their uh, movies and stuff is I, it's crazy. Truly, yeah, it's <sighs> you know, you know. I, I hope for this podcast and other people doing the same work too, just conveying how much work goes into these projects. It's all insanity. It's just right. like it, is, it is nonstop, twenty four seven. You were just on it in a way that is uh, <laughs> can be viewed as bad, but also um, admirable in many ways. Um, um, in nineteen ninety four, John Williams conducted the scores for this film, Jurassic Park, in concert. He took a break from film scoring assignments while doing so. That guy is just unbelievable, too. He's probably the greatest composer of all time. Yeah. Uh, as far as movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I absolutely Soundtrack. agree, too. Yeah. I just had a quick little mind uh, blub when it's like you said in concert. Like, in a concert? Oh, yeah. The show, you got the stage, everything. Of course he did. Why wouldn't he? And they're like, oh, no, he meant simultaneously. In concert works for that, too. Right. Words what a play on words. Yeah. <laughs> uh, due to the increased interest in Krakow created by the film, the city brought Oscar Schindler's Enamel Factory. In 2007, to create a permanent exhibition about the German occupation of the city from 1939 to 1945, the museum opened in June of 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, contrary to popular belief, this was not the first film Steven Spielberg directed that received an R rating by the Motion Picture of America. That credit actually goes to a short film, Amblin, in 1968, which I've never seen. Neither have I. I've never even heard of it before. This well, it's a short film, though. It's a short... Oh, okay. Short film. Amblin. Uh, Neeson felt Schindler enjoyed outsmarting the Nazi, who regarded him as a bit of a buffoon. They don't quite take him seriously, and he used that to full effect. 
To help him prepare for the role, Spielberg showed uh, Niesing film clips of Time Warner CEO Steve Ross, who had a charisma that Spielberg compared to Schindler. He also located a tape of Schindler speaking, which uh, Neeson studied to learn the correct imitations in- and pitch of his voice. Mm-hmm. That's something that goes good at Neeson's acting too, because like at the very beginning of this film, uh, you know, Oscar Schindler is very much depicted as a, uh, a a charismatic opportunist in many ways. Like he's just he's trying to think like, okay, how can I make money during this war, and also how can I just like associate with all these Nazis and trying to make me think I'm an important man, even though I'm not yet, right. and all those kind of things. It really is a uh, impressive. Um, I think. Um, uh, Scorsese channeled a lot of that in like Wolf of Wall Street and other kind of similar films too kind of like looking back and forth with each other over the careers right yeah. after finishing Hook in 1991 Spielberg opted to make this film next but Universal Picture Chairman Sid Scheinberg greenlit the film on the condition only that Spielberg actually make Jurassic Park in 1993 first yeah which if that's a way to get it done then that's a way to get it done that's a way to get it done too and also just like the end, like you know it, it's just, when you cover cover this film or you cover Jurassic Park like they both feel like a world unto each other like you, like we did a Jurassic Park podcast and that just felt like it felt like everything to get it done in that podcast all the trivia facts and like that too and this film too just feels like there's just so many facts around it and then like Steven Spielberg was doing both those things basically simultaneously for the most part and that's just insanity to me I couldn't imagine juggling these projects so together Kyle here's a couple people that came across my notes that uh, were expressed interest in playing Schindler uh, one would be Mel Gibson uh, for the time, it probably would have seemed like a good idea. Right. In hindsight, and, and <laughs> knowing what we know now, it's a great thing they avoided that. Um. Uh, uh, Kevin Costner. I think Kevin might have been able to pull it off. He's Kevin a great Costner, actor. He has the physical, same physical presence I think Liam Neeson has. I think he would have done a great job. Very similar, actually. Yeah, but Liam Neeson has that voice. It's really he, great. He does. Liam Neeson's voice. Uh, Steven Spielberg, as director, has made 10 films about either... Uh, about World War II or relating to World War II in chronological order. Are you ready? Ready for it. Hit me, Jimbo. And tell me if you've seen these or not. Okay. Fighter Squad in 1961. No. Escape to Nowhere in 1961. No. 1941 in 1979. No. Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. 1981. Empire of the Sun, 1987. No. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, 1989. Yes. A remake of the World War II movie named uh, A Guy Named Joe in 1943. No. Uh... Oh, it was titled uh, Always was the, the name of the one. I haven't oh, seen this. Schindler's seen List, yes. Saving Private Ryan. Yes. Okay. So I've seen three out of ten. Wait, was that ten? Yeah. Okay, I was sent three out of ten. I'm failing. I need to watch more Spielberg movies. Speaking of that, um, how would you compare this and Saving Private Ryan? Uh, As... In terms of like historical accuracy or something like that? No, I mean I, just like... If you enjoyed them, uh, oh yeah, I certainly enjoy them. Um, I would say that Saving Private Ryan is like less emotionally, um, uh, of a, uh, less emotionally heavy than Saving than uh, than Chandler's List. So I, I feel more favorably uh, towards like rewatching Saving. I I I feel like I can watch Saving Private Ryan kind of like once a week easily. Schindler's List, I feel like I need to set up a month and like, okay, I'm going to watch it this one time. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, I'm going to... And gonna, you have to have a couple of days blocked off so you get to... I kind of need to yeah, compartmentalize that because otherwise like my whole month is going to be thrown into me just feeling like incomplete, dire hopelessness <laughs> for the whole world. Um, uh, not that that's even what the message of the film is, but seeing Private Ryan is... It feels less heavy to me like that, and like it feels more of a triumphant struggle. Like they succeeded at the end of the day, um, and Oscar and the Schindler's List is more of these people survived. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kyle, right now we're uh, probably um, with all the stuff we added here, we're probably right about an hour. So I think we're going ahead and cut this episode. We'll make it a two-parter. Sounds good um, to me. That way we can um, 
you know, get this out sooner than later. Um, so um, join us back here shortly for part two. Um, we think that's a wrap on uh, Schindler's List part one. And that's a wrap. And cut.